electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, thanks a lot, Carl, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for Scott Wapner. Stocks, they are trying to build on last week's big gains. The major averages coming off their first positive week in the last four Two questions here. Is, is this just a bear market rally or could it be the beginning of a bottoming process? We'll debate that and the next move for your money. Our investment committee today, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, John Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com, and right here with me on set, Jenny Harrington. But first, let's get a check on the markets this hour. The Dow and the S&P rebounding, reversing some earlier losses. And we're seeing right now both the Dow and the uh, S&P in the green. The Nasdaq still fractionally lower right now. We're all also watching the 10-year note yield right now at 3.185%. lot to get down to today. I want to start off with you, Jenny, because you're right here. Also, <laughs> we have a special connection. We started here at CNBC on our first day, so I have a special question for you. Great. Is this the bottom or is it a bear market rally? I think we've been in a bottoming process, huh. and I don't think it's a recent phenomenon that we've been in it. If we think back to May, the S&P touched down at about negative 20 percent on the year. Was it last week, two weeks ago, market touched down at about down 20, 23 percent? And I think that's kind of how this year is going to play out. It's this I've been saying it all along. It's a cage match of forces of good and evil. We've got a lot of tough stuff out there that we need to digest. But we also have some pretty OK things, too, like a consumer that's not in as bad shape as people think, an economy that's not not pulling off a cliff, corporate earnings that aren't going to be as good as once we once expected them to be, but they're not terrible. So we have these forces fighting out. We have valuations reconciling themselves. And I think this is how the year plays out, that we just shuffle between maybe down 10 or 12 percent and down 20 or 22 percent. So I think we're in a bottoming process. And I think that gives us a lot of opportunity where you can pick things off. As you guys know, we bought Uber a couple weeks ago. We never could have bought that if we didn't have these bear market, if we weren't in this bear market kind of environment. But it creates opportunity. So I, I say view it with a positive lens. Don't bank on this rally being permanent and don't despair if we travel down again. Wow. Cage match. Great reference there. I'm going to go over to you, Joe T. Are you, you wrestling with anything here, whether this is the bottom or a bear market rally? I know you're watching commodities like copper down 20 percent quarter to date. Yeah, well, I really like what Jenny said there, that that's a very thoughtful way to describe what is a very challenging environment. And the one thing that's consistent is the elevated and persistent volatility. So, so I've kind of defined it as this John Mayer market where we're waiting on the world to change. And if you think about clarity, that only comes through the course of time. When do you need clarity on? You need clarity on is inflation peaking. You need clarity on how much are earnings and margins going to contract. And then lastly, what's the Federal Reserve's response going to be? Unfortunately, the calendar says June. We're not in the month of July. And each of those three conditions, we're going to get further clarity and understanding as the weeks unfold. So in the immediate term, what you have right now, Frank, is you had maximum pessimism. I mean, extreme pessimism. It almost felt as though like it was September or October of 2008. 
And that's being moderated by a lot of the disinflationary conditions that are existing from the pricing of commodities beginning to decline, whether that's lumber, wheat, copper, natural gas down significantly, and even oil has come down uh, modestly. So in the near term, feel good about things. We're unwinding some of that extreme pessimism as we move towards these very important signature events in July. All right. Speaking of extreme pessimism, why is this like a segue right over to you? I know you're the bear here. I just want to point to something really <laughs> quick that we came from came from J.P. Morgan this morning. Marco Kalanovich saying that recession is not part of J.P. Morgan's base case. And he sees global growth accelerating, actually, from one point three percent in the first half to three point one percent in the second half. Any thoughts as far as your bearish stance? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still bearish. Look, <laughs> markets are driven by liquidity. That's the bottom line. Market driven by liquidity. And the Fed drove the market substantially higher, drove risk assets substantially higher. Now they're on the other side of it, and they've got lots of company. They've got global tightening. So what I'm still trying to figure out is the veracity of Jenny's statement. I believe she believes it, but that the consumer is still strong. I'm looking at consumer confidence polls uh, that are at 40, 50 years low. So while they may be strong, it's not where they think they are, number one. And number two, I don't know how they can be strong when you're seeing now that 15% of all home renters are late on their rent. That's a pretty high number. So obviously they're deciding, do I put gas in my car? Fortunately, they don't have to heat their homes because we're in summer. Or do I pay my rent or do I put food in the table? So the consumer's not strong. That's a pure myth. In terms of maximum bearishness, well, I'd say after the rally last week, you've not at, you're not at maximum bearishness anymore. So look, this is a bear market sure. rally. I don't know how it ends. I don't know when it ends. But is it a bottoming process? For some stocks, absolutely. And there'll be opportunities to trade it. But the Fed is going to go again at the end of July. Now, we may get an extension of the rally, depending upon what we see inflation numbers out Thursday. But you're playing it data release to data release. But let's not lose sight of the big picture, which is the Fed giveth. And the Fed is in major taketh mode right now, as well as every other central bank. So, period. Why, well, really I want to push back on you with um, the liquidity issue. Our Bob Pisani out with an uh, article out today saying uh, a lot of ink's been spilled over liquidity issues. But on Friday, we saw nearly 20 billion shares change hands. Third heaviest day for volume in history, well above the 13 to 14 billion that we normally see. So why didn't those liquidity issues rear their head on Friday? Well, we're talking about two different types of liquidity. I'm talking about liquidity that greases the economy. And the Fed's pulling back on that liquidity. When they lower rates, they're not only lower rates for the stock market, number one. So I'm talking broader, what businesses need to, uh, to continue to spend on growth. Businesses are pulling back. They're laying off people. They're cutting back some of them on their buybacks. Some are extending them. Some are raising dividends. I get that. But broadly, they're trying to keep money in the bank for the winter that's coming, and that will be a recession. In terms of liquidity in the market Friday, Friday, don't forget, was a major rebalance, a Russell rebalance, just a market rebalance. So there was about 100, uh, you know, I think, I think there was 100 billion to buy in the market on, uh, on Friday. Don't go by Friday's liquidity. That's meaningless in terms of the overall scheme. That was a one-time event for the quarter.
All right, well, Weiss is going to stay bullish, excuse me, bearish. John, I'm going to come over to you. Um, Tom Liao with a note that maybe the markets mistook the bullwhip effect of supply chain for secular inflation. And really, the inflation is not as bad, but it just keeps kind of snowballing, at least the perception of it as we go. Are you bearish or bullish on the market? Do you believe we're at the bottom or are we in some other position that maybe we don't even understand just quite yet? Well, um, I'm going to agree with Jenny that we're closer to a bottom. Um, and if that means, Frank, that we're within 10% of a bottom, you know, whether you measure it in S&P, NASDAQ, uh, or Dow terms, uh, do you really want to miss out uh, by not at least having a little more exposure on a, such a significant pullback? And then I'm going to go to Joe's comment about John Mayer and say, uh, <laughs> the market is a wonderland, Joe. And right now, the market's going to be wondering about that July 13th meeting, is that uh, the CPI reading, rather, and then the Fed at the uh, 27th of July. Those two factors are what we're wondering about, Frank. We're wondering because um, if the CPI is, again, hot and hotter than people anticipate, then Steve Weiss is going to be absolutely right, and we're going to trade down hard. If, on the other hand, um, we uh, have seen inflation come a little more under control, then I think we can just keep climbing this wall of worry. Between now and the 13th of uh, July, though, Frank, I don't think we're going to see any sustained rallies that are much higher than what we've got. And as I've said, I don't really think that we plumb much lower. People will be wondering and waiting for that July 13th uh, CPI reading. That will be very important. JP Morgan earnings immediately after that. And then, like I say, the Fed closing out the month. You know, John, I think a lot of other people share your opinion. Uh, City out with a note today, S&P year-end target down to 4,200 from 4,700, still about a 5% upside from what we're seeing right now. UBS saying they see the S&P at 3,900 at year-end, basically where we are today. Jenny, do you see some volatility? Mm -hmm. Then we just kind of end up right where we started? I wouldn't be surprised. I think, I think if we look back in six months from now, we could have tons of noise, we could have peaks and troughs, and we sit exactly where we are. I think that's plausible. I think it's plausible to think that we end the year plus or minus 8% from where we are right now. And it, that's part because what we're experiencing right now is really a reconciliation in a lot of things. We're experiencing reconciliation in valuations. We're experiencing, or re, really a better word is reallocation. A reallocation in valuations, a reconciliation. We're seeing a reallocation in the way people spend. And that's just fighting its way out. So for me to think, Okay, maybe we end the year with $230 of S&P earnings as 16 or 17 times multiple. That's about where we are. But that's going to be <laughs> up for debate between now and the end of the year. So I think it's plausible, but it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be an easy year. So, Steve, back over to you. You don't see any scenario where inflation tampers as we go to the second half of the year. A lot of other banks seeing that scenario coming out. And it sounds like pretty much Tom Lee saying that. He's, he believes that inflation might be a bit overhyped, if you will. Okay, where's the news flash on, on Tom Lee being bullish um, and trying to find something to support it? Look, inflation's not going to drop from 8% down to 4% overnight. But will you see a trend of inflation declining? It's possible. But the Fed's still going to go. They're going to overshoot on tightening because they undershot on easing in terms of pulling it back early, too late. So... Look, you know, the it's I've used this example before. You, you go to you go to a doctor, you go to a surgeon and generally 
their default is let's operate. And it's not a dishonest bias, it's an honest bias. And the same is true with strategists, is that they have an honest bias to be bullish. So they find ways to do it. I've got no bias. I'm not short anything. I'm in cash. So do I think the market could bounce? Do I think inflation should come down? Absolutely. Do I think anybody can predict it with any ounce of certainty whatsoever? Absolutely not. It's pure folly for them to do it and for them to point something. I just want to correct one thing. John, I'm not looking for the market to have a major, you know, all of a sudden, you know, dump. Sure, if inflation goes to 9% in the numbers that we see, that will happen. All I'm saying is that the risk-reward right now is very unattractive, and because of monetary policy, favors the downside, and that you have plenty of time to get into the market. So why do it now? Anything I've sold, by the way, I've sold at higher prices. I got maligned for selling uh, Cleveland Cliffs at 22 only a couple of weeks ago. Look at it now. So... I'm happy with my positioning. I'm staying here. And sure, could I be opportunistic? Yes, but I'm not ready to do it yet. So the real question is, where are those opportunities? Joe, I'm going to come over to you. Uh, consumer discretionary, having the best month over the last month, up 4%, a lot of red in those other sectors. Where, do you see any definite opportunities there? Are you looking for your opportunities elsewhere? I think that's correlated to growth making a little bit of a comeback here uh, most recently. And, and to Stephen's comments, Again, the reason why the market right now, as I said before, is moderating that pessimism is because people are trying to read the inflation tea leaves and study what's going on in commodities and say, okay, we're finally beginning to see some destruction in terms of demand that's reflected in prices beginning to decline. So consumer discretionary, there's a lot of growth businesses that encompass that sector. I think that's a lot of uh, the reason why you're seeing the rally. I would urge the viewers to be careful. Do not, uh, do not lose the disciplined approach in terms of thinking about valuations. I like to use the words quality growth. I think they belong in this environment. I'm not ready to go out on the risk curve and accept the emerging growth story. I know emerging growth had an excellent week last week, but there's still too much in terms of the absence of clarity. Where is the cost of capital going to land? What's the terminal rate going to ultimately be? So be respectful of valuation and consumer discretionary. I have Lululemon. I have Amazon. Unfortunately, Frank, my purchase of Amazon was not a good one. It was pretty high back in early April. But I think these are the right types of businesses that you want to own if you want to begin to gradually move towards a growth strategy. You know, speaking of the consumer, Jenny, I know you're pretty bullish on the consumer. we got a big report coming up on Thursday, PCE. Um, inflation, a lot of questions about where it's at. Will it moderate from here? Where do you think the consumer is right now? So just a clarification on that. I'm not bullish on the consumer. I am bullish on the consumer relative to where expectations are. So what Joe said earlier was really important. He said we are unwinding extreme pessimism. And when you were asking Steve where is their opportunity, I look at this and I say, Opportunity is in companies, is in individual stocks where there has been extreme pessimism, and it's too much. So, so I think, you know, Nike's reporting tonight, I think that could be a really interesting insight. We've added to American Eagle. We've added to Foot Locker. I think these are the kinds of stocks that you can buy where they've accounted for the consumer being just obliterated, not participating, earnings down 50, 60, 70 percent. That's not going to be the case. And so I think what we're going to see is the consumer's 
okay. It's not as weak as expected. This is a pure anecdote, and I, know, I don't like to invest on anecdotes, but I was on vacation in Maine last week, and I was in a donut store at 3 o'clock. The donuts were like $3 each, and there's a line out the door. The place is completely packed. People are still spending, and we need to be aware of that. I also think if we get too too pessimistic, you're going to miss out on these opportunities. So you can't sit there and wait for the market to go to 3,000. You can't wait for everything negative. You just need to pick things off and understand that it's not, you know, someone said to me once, hey, Jen, it's never as bad as it seems, and it's never as great as it seems. And that's the truth. And I think right now is it's just not as bad as it seems, and it's not going to get as great as it seems either. Well, you said extreme pessimism, so that immediately means we have to go over to Weiss. Weiss, I want to talk about tech, a place where you, there has been a lot of <laughs> pessimism, perhaps correctly. Where do you see that going? MKM, MKM out with a note that healthcare is taking leadership, but they see some potential in technology. Where are you seeing technology right now? Well, first of all, to, to Jenny, seeing uh, people buying donuts at three in the morning, I'd say that three behavior in the afternoon, is Steve. I'm not up at three. More than half. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, That's a different scene, Weiss. Um, what else are. is going on in Maine? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I, I'll tell you, I was kind three of perplexed. Like, what's she doing at three in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good happens at that point, and, and people aren't eating because they got money in their pocket at that point. Uh, but so I'm glad to hear that it was that it was three in the afternoon. Look, I, I, I think there's so much tech that's so cheap right now on the earnings we're seeing now, but I just don't know what the earnings are really going to be. If you can believe that earnings are where they are, or eat, or going to stay where they are, where analysts forecast, or only come down about 10% from where they are, then fine, then that's a different equation. But in the face of earnings, and analysts have still been increasing their earnings, and which, is, which is bizarre to me, on one hand, on the other hand, don't forget, they're myopic. They just look at their sector. They're not generally looking at everything else playing around them. And they're believing the companies in terms of what they're saying. But they'll find out that the earnings are going to come under pressure. Now, when you take a look at some companies that are still going to grow, maybe it's not 20%, maybe it's 14%, and they're selling at a 10 PE in that 20%, well, the math sort of adds up. But again, I think the volume of negative news is going to mitigate against major moves other than trading moves. And that's borne out by the charts there. Just take a look at the, at the volatility in the names so you get some opportunity. Uh, Microsoft is not compellingly cheap at this point. Apple, given their high-priced product and the fact that we're now seeing uh, the telco companies raise prices on their cellular plans, now you've got to decide, do I want to buy a new phone and pick up additional monthly payments when everything else is going up? So, so I don't think it's that easy right now. You're at a moment in time, and the timeline is still moving in terms of lowering earnings estimates. John, where are you seeing tech at right now? Um, back to that MKM note, they see a bounce coming potentially in the near future, but what's your outlook? Um, I, I see both tech and energy making bounces here. Uh, tail end of last week, Frank, energy, which was one of the huge underperformers over the past month, um, started to see fast money flowing into the XOP. That's the uh, uh, exploration spider. Um, into the XLE, and we've seen a, just a host of stocks within that space, Frank, starting to ramp, and that's one of the hottest sectors today. As far as tech itself, I think tech stabilizes, Frank, uh, and we've seen that with Apple overtaking 140 again, but I'm not as much looking for outperformance um, alpha, if you will, 
for tech in the short term. Like I say, I think we've got two weeks to let the market wander back and forth. Um, and then I think after that CPI report, if it comes in somewhat benign, uh, then I think you can see us go right back to work and some of those tech names really work. Yeah, I'm not I don't touch disagree the irony, with John, Steve about... You're having some technical issues right now. I'm not, <laughs> not going to touch on the irony of that right now. Oh, but sorry. speaking of hot sectors, healthcare up 8% last week. I'm going to go over to you, Joe. I know you're really, you're really uh, looking at healthcare for opportunities. I love healthcare. It's it's at the beginning of the year. I didn't get very much right. It was frustrating environment for me, but I got healthcare right from a sector perspective. Think about coming into the year, the valuation discount that existed between healthcare and the S and P 500. That discount was nearly 20 percent. That's the widest discount that healthcare and the S and P have traded at in nearly 30 years. So I think you had to look at that, understand the environment where. We were going to see the cost of capital and the rate be a moving target. Realize I need a little bit of offense. I need a little bit of defense. I need a little growth, a little bit of value. And I think healthcare collectively provides that uh, in terms of the quality momentum index and Joe T ETF. That's our, our largest overweight. We've got 20% exposure to healthcare. So I carry uh, many positions. I have the IHI, which is medical devices. I've had AbV for quite some time. I was advocating aggressively for people to look at Merck when it was around $80, be a buyer of Merck. I still think Merck, Lilly, Bristol Myers, these are companies that you want to own as you move forward. Amgen, large cap biotech. Healthcare just to, seems to be from the fundamental characteristics of what you want to own in this environment, the perfect sector. And I think it's being reflected right now in terms of performance and repositioning. All right. Speaking of healthcare, Bristol Myers up a percent right now, actually hitting an all time high. And Jenny, you own the stock. Right. We've owned Bristol for a long time. To me, this is actually a bigger story, too, which is sometimes you just need to be patient because Bristol was one of the lowest performers. And this is in our discipline growth strategy. But this was one of the lowest performers performers in the portfolio for a long time. And then everything comes together and you have a company that has terrific growth ahead of it that was trading at a, at a less than market multiple that has a terrific management team that has great products that were going to be used as people return to the doctor and, and undertook normal patterns of healthcare um, experiences. I don't know, going to the doctor, getting checked for cancer, get, you know, starting to do things normally. So it was kind of an obvious winner. It just took a really, really long time. Um, one thing on healthcare too that I think we need to pay attention to is the fact that they benefit from weak. Those stocks generally benefit from a weak dollar. So not only do they have the wind at their backs by people returning to normal patterns and the valuations going into the year, but weak dollar actually supports these these stocks too. So it could go for a while more. All right, there we go. Up next, trades on some of the big analyst stock calls of the day, including Coinbase and Robinhood, plus the big banks set to unveil their dividend plans. And Nike getting ready to report earnings after the bell today. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome back to Half. Shares of Coinbase tumbling this hour. Goldman Sachs downgrading Coinbase to sell while actually upgrading Robinhood to neutral. The firm notes risk reward is more balanced with Robinhood. Goldman cutting Coinbase's price target to $45 from 70. It's one of our calls of the day. Jenny, I'm going to start with you. Obviously, two of the riskier uh, equities out there right now. Both of them have some correlation to cryptocurrency. Those cryptocurrencies down 50% or more year to date, the major ones at least. Mm-hmm. How do you view these stocks? I mean, I, I view them as something I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. And I know when Coinbase came public, we took a peek at it and we said, how do they make their money? And it was really interesting because they actually charged a commission as a percent of the transaction. So right now, if you think about it, e- even if even if they're charging the same, I think it was one and a half or something percent on individual trades and much less than that on institutional trades. But back then... Bitcoin was at 68,000, and now it's at 20,000. So even if they're charging the same way, they're probably earning about a third of what they were. As Ed Yardeni says, there's no intrinsic value to Bitcoin. So it could trade at zero or it could trade at a million, which means you have no way to price what they're actually going to earn. And this is a market that hates uncertainty. And with that, yeah, maybe one day they do earn a lot, but we have no way to tell that. This gets back a little bit to the healthcare before, where healthcare, you know what they're going to earn. Coinbase, we have no idea what they're really going to earn. Robinhood, I got no idea on that one either. So for me, I'm out. John, you got any ideas over there? Yeah, I I more or less echo what Jenny said. I I think that uh, Coinbase is a a, a real problem right now. Uh, And Robinhood uh, relies just on selling the order flow. Uh, Not that every broker out there doesn't, Frank, but when you're a broker that is built solely on the idea that you do not provide anything beyond the bare necessities for trading. Um, and then as traders mature and as they get uh, a, a little more uh, skill set that they'd like to use more spreads and things like that, then that's just not a viable platform anymore. So, so Robinhood, nope. Um, Coinbase, eh, if it got cheap enough, but it isn't there yet. Uh, I know Goldman's taking a look at Celsius, but that's a whole different animal. Um, I think most of these are pretty much uh, stay away right now, Frank. All right, next up, Old Dominion upgraded to overweight at Wells Fargo. Um, This is kind of in my wheelhouse. This is a less than truckload trucker. That means a couple companies put some different loads onto a truck to go to the same place as opposed to getting one truck by themselves. Joe, I'm going to come over to you. Are you seeing opportunities in the LTL space? Well, I've I've owned this name for 
previously in the past, uh, sold out of it in early April. A lot of that had to do with the declining rates for freight that we are seeing. Um, this note speaks specifically towards an improving environment there. At the end of July, you're going to get an earnings report, and hopefully you'll receive further confirmation that that, in fact, is what's occurring. If you get that, then this is a name that without question, as it relates to trucking, you want to own. It is best in breed. It is a company with a very strong capital allocation strategy, both in terms of buying back their shares and then also having the free cash flow generation present. Uh, but I want confirmation from management on that earnings call before I buy this stock. Uh, but it is without question a name you cannot ignore just because it maintains such a, a high quality relative to its peers. Yeah, one thing I want to po uh, point out to you, Joe, and, and John, I'm going to ask you to jump in on this too. Uh, we don't talk about this on halftime a lot. But coming up in a few days, the West Coast ports and their unions, their negotiations, um, excuse me, their contract's going to come up. And the last three times there were negotiations, there was some kind of disruption over the last 20 years. The most recent one during the Obama administration, there was a slowdown there. There had to be some intervention, which could be a, a tailwind for this company and also the whole trucking space. John, what's your thoughts on it? And, and also, what other activity are you seeing in the transports? Well, uh, I like one that uh, I, I almost complimented Steve Weiss a little bit ago, and then the tech gremlins hit me. So, <laughs> Frank, uh, this is a stock Steve talks about a lot. I like XPO Logistics um, because of how they uh, basically try to work the system to get goods and so forth from point A to point B, whether it's full truck, full boat, whatever. Um, this could be something, Frank, that might require a Jones Act suspension. Again, if indeed we do see those ports disrupted the way that you're saying they could be, because we've already had some pretty significant disruptions in that supply chain. And that's something that America does not need right now is another bout of that. So if that happened, Frank, I bet you would see a Jones Act suspension. Um, I don't think the president would have a choice at that point. All right, you're also buying Delta calls? Yeah, I've been buying Delta Airlines calls because uh, upside call buying in the jets, that broad market ETF for the airline sector. Um, I, I'm not really playing in the Spirit Airlines JetBlue frontier space, Frank, but I am playing in several of the other airlines. And today, uh, upside call buying in DAL was why I jumped on that one. All right, shares down about two and a quarter percent right now. All right, now time for our headlines with Bertha Coombs. Hey there, Bertha. Hey, Frank. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Iran and the United States will resume indirect talks this week as part of wider efforts to revive the 2015 nuclear deal. It's been hanging by a thread since 2018 when then-President Donald Trump unilaterally withdrew from that deal. President Biden's administration has sought to return to the agreement, saying it would be the best path ahead with the Islamic Republic. James and Jennifer Crumbly, parents of the Oxford, Michigan school shooter Ethan, were back in court today. Their defense attorneys unsuccessfully argued the couple cannot get a fair trial in Oakland County due to intense media coverage and the trauma suffered by the local community. And flight cancellations are soaring amid the July 4th holiday coming up. Almost 3,000 
1,000 flights have been canceled within, into, or out of the U.S. An estimated 3.5 million Americans are expected to travel by plane during the upcoming holiday weekend, making it one of the busiest times of the year. I know a couple of people who were affected by that just over the last couple of days. Frank, back to you. Yeah, a lot of delays. A lot of people trying to get back home from their vacation destination experience in that. Thank you, Bertha. All right, up next, the big ETFs to watch today and all week on CNBC. We're live from the Aspen Ideas Festival, bringing you interviews and newsmaking conversations. NBC Universal News Group is the media partner for the festival. Don't miss it. And halftime returns after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Bitcoin is in freefall, almost 70% off its historic high it hit in November. Is this the right time for a short Bitcoin ETF? Let's ask the man who did it. Simeon Hyman, global investment strategist at ProShares, launched the short Bitcoin strategy ETF last week. The symbol is BITI. That complements the long Bitcoin futures ETF that ProShares launched in October of last year. Simeon, uh, explain how this works for the viewers. Uh, these are tied to futures contracts. Is it an exact inverse? So if Bitcoin is down 1%, this is up 1%. Explain how it works. Right. So both of the ETFs use futures for their exposure, both BIDO, which, as you know, was uh, perhaps one of the most successful ETF launches in history last fall, and BITI, which is our short Bitcoin strategy ETF, launched last week. And what it does is it provides what a inverse exposure to Bitcoin, so minus one, the performance of the CME Bitcoin futures index. But the important key here is that it is rebalanced every day. So that means every morning you wake up and you know uh, that uh, you're calibrated to minus one, the daily return. Yeah, that's important to note. It recalibrates on a daily basis. Now, the SEC right. chair, Gary Gensler, he was on our air this morning, along with Jim, uh, and he was again pointing out that crypto tokens would fall under the SEC's jurisdiction. But he said nothing uh, in the interview about the long-delayed spot Bitcoin ETF. Uh, are we any closer to realizing that? Because that does have to go through Gary Gensler's purview. It's the SEC is going to rule on this. So I, we're not in a position to, to really understand what the timing would be. I think what's really interesting to note particularly over the last six months or so, is that the volatility, the euphemistic word of volatility for Bitcoin and other crypto assets has exposed 
challenges even in just a simple spot market. So, of course, the lending platforms people are very well aware of, but even just in an exchange. Uh, you know, we've now found out that in a crypto exchange, uh, client assets may not be segregated in the event of a bankruptcy. So that's a lot of the, the hair that's on the spot market. And in the meantime, in sharp contrast, the futures market, which we deploy for BITO and BITI, has actually matured quite nicely. So the futures are tracking uh, the spot market very, very closely in those roll costs that people were concerned about, they've actually shrunk down to almost nothing over the past few months. So that stands in stark contrast to a little bit of the chaos that's been going on in the spot market. Okay, a lot to unpack there, Simeon. We're going to have a lot more on Bitcoin and the prospects for a Bitcoin ETF coming up on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Simeon will be joined by Andrew Channon. He's the CEO of Procure AM, who will discuss his new global disaster recovery ETF. This is the first ever of its kind. It's fascinating. And Tom Lydon, chairman of Edify, also joined us on set. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime ret returns right after this. All right, welcome back to Half. Big banks are expected to announce their capital redistribution plans. Our Leslie Picker is following the money. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Frank. Yeah, big day today. About four hours from now, we should expect to see announcements from the banks about their buyback and dividend plans. Ceilings for capital distributions are set by the Fed, which released its stress test last week, showing all banks, all 33 banks that tested fairing relatively well with an overall healthy financial system. However, analysts point to a few surprises that could be in store, especially among the larger banks, which could lead to materially lower buybacks this year. That camp, analysts expect, include Bank of America, Citigroup, and J.P. Morgan. Wells Fargo's results, on the other hand, could point to modestly better distributions, analysts say. The market isn't anticipating further restrictions from the Fed as it did during the pandemic and curbing buybacks and dividends. However, bank management's could opt to be more conservative due to the rising expectations of a recession. But as we've seen in recent weeks, C-suites among the big banks are divided over the prospects of a big downturn, with J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon warning of a hurricane on one hand, while others like Morgan Stanley's James Gorman more sanguine, Frank. Yeah, a lot of tea leaves out here that people are reading. But just back to the banks very quickly. What are you expecting when it comes to buybacks? I know in 2020, those buybacks were halted. Last year, big jump. Are you expecting another jump? The state at the same level? What do, you, what do you see coming? No, it's a good question. So the Fed's test was actually harder this year than it was last year. And so as a result, a lot of analysts, especially among those names that I mentioned, are expecting pretty materially lower buybacks this year. And then you could see on top of that, bank management say, you know what, we want to protect our balance sheets even further. So we're going to kind of be pretty conservative with those buybacks just in case some of these significant headwinds that are out there do turn out to be a recession. We want to make sure we're in a good place um, from our balance sheet standpoint in order to withstand that ahead of time. All right. Significant headwinds. That sounds like Steve Weiss's cue. Weiss, you own Bank of America <laughs> and Goldman. What do you think? <laughs> I do. Look, look, I mean, Jamie Dimon came out and said, prepare, essentially prepare for the worst. So do you think he's then going to go out and buy as much stock, even though his stock is cheaper? I don't think so. You know, I was talking to one of the heads of banking at uh, of investment banking at uh, one of the larger firms, and I was told that their revenues are running down 85 percent in capital markets. Put it in perspective, that's some of their highest margin business. So given that that's occurring 
and the capital markets are, are now freezing on the private side, which typically lags the public side by six to eight months, I would say that there's very little chance that banks come out and raise their buyouts. I would look for them to lower them and also lower any dividend increases. It just makes common sense. What's the rush? All right, Joe, over to you. I see you own Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, and J.P. Morgan. I, I do. I, I own all of these. And, and my belief is that the balance sheet, the lesson that was learned from the great financial crisis, will allow banks to be resilient and persevere through an economic contraction. But to the kind of support what Steve was just suggesting, let's not believe that the capital allocation strategies of the big banks is going to just automatically, because they got the all clear on these stress tests, uh, be enacted in the environment. Let's understand the stress tests, okay? You're, you're talking about metrics that had the VIX at 75, a 10% unemployment rate, GDP contracting 3.5%, and the equity market down 55%. Well, that doesn't mean that banks are buying. Banks are looking at where did they start 2022 where unemployment was, labor force is, is, is basically full, economic growth, higher equity market, and a VIX at 20. So they look at that and they see the environment has deteriorated. I agree with Steve. I think buyback intentions, they're not going to be as energized as they were at the beginning of the year. And if that's your reasoning for buying these stocks, I think you're going to be wrong. I think what you have to wait through is the process of time, move through the course of the year, and hope that the economy is to able to absorb the weakening in consumer demand. Yeah, right now, bank stocks trading flat to slightly lower. Turning our attention to after the bell, Dow stock Nike said to report its earnings. Its shares are down over 30% this year. That trade is up next on halftime. We're back in two minutes. All right, welcome back to Half. Nike shares lowered today and off 38% from recent highs. The retailer set to report its earnings after the bell this afternoon. And joining us now on the phone, Amy Raskin, CIO of Chevy Chase Trust. Amy, you own Nike and you also recently trimmed it. We did. We recently trimmed it due to primarily um, the lockdowns in China. We had the unique and brilliant insight that if you're not allowed to leave your house or your apartment, you're probably going to go for fewer runs. And buying new athletic gear is probably not going to be top of mind for you. So we trimmed it um, thinking, you know, there might be some weakness in the quarter and potentially the full year outlook, which they'll give us tonight for 2023. We still have a relatively big position, um, which we bought at much lower prices. So we wanted to be sort of tax sensitive in our trim, um, but just recognizing that there's more risks out there that are hard to quantify. Weiss, toss it over to you. This obviously gives us a lot of insight on the strength of the consumer, both here in the U.S. and globally. Yeah, look, Nike just has been a great performing stock. Lulu has continued to put up good numbers. Um, it's something I grapple with. I, I own Dick's Sporting Goods, and while it's still extremely cheap, it just doesn't matter. So as you go around, you're still seeing the malls crowded, but living in the area where we are in Northeast, it's kind of a bubble. So I really don't have a good feel for what's going on. What Amy's saying uh, makes absolute sense. If China's shut down and it's a big market for Nike, how would you expect them to put up any type of decent quarter? So to me, it goes back to the consumer. 
I think that when you would go out and say, hey, I'm going to get a new pair of running shoes, maybe you're putting that decision off right now. So it's not an area that I'm keen on investing in right now. It right. won't be the first place I go. John, I know you got something teed up, and we want to squeeze in Jenny before we go to the break. Just getting back to the Nike. Yeah, I, just I, real quick. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. You guys refereed yourself. John, just, just real go quick, ahead. Jen. <laughs> sorry. Okay, sorry, Jenny. Uh, just real quick. They're buying the 100 puts. They're buying the 95 puts. They're buying the 90 puts in Nike. That's either protective, Frank and Jenny, or it's a bet that this stock goes lower after the earnings tonight. Jenny, last word. I just want to say, getting back to Joe's extreme pessimism, when you see Nike down 30% already, I look at that and I say there is already extreme pessimism in the share price. We need to remember this, and it'll be interesting what they say and the, and the insight that they give for the rest of the space. Thanks to Amy Raskin for that call, and we appreciate it. John's latest trades and unusual activity, that's coming up next. All right, time now for unusual activity. John, what are you seeing in the options market? All right, Frank, um, ASHR. This is one of those ETFs for China. Um, big buying 10,000 of these uh, August 33 calls. These are an in the money, just in the money, but in the money. The stock was about $33.30, Frank, when they started buying these aggressively. Second one out there, um, the XLE. Um, that is the energy ETF, of course. Um, there's the XOP that I talked about as well. That's exploration. This is energy itself, um, the XLE, and it was 92. Now it's 72, and they're buying the 78 calls that expire the 22nd of uh, uh, July at the 78 strike. Um, lastly, Frank, uh, Sabre, this is what's behind almost every travel site. S-A-B-R, $6.23, I think it was. They were up there buying the August 8 calls in big numbers. They bought 7,000 of those very quickly, Frank. All right, there we go. Final trades. Those are coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. All right, welcome back to Halftime. Time for Final Trades. Jenny, you're up first. I'll give you a good one. You may remember that at the end of April, I bought Devon Energy. Well, right now it's back to where it was. When I bought it, the cool thing about it was that the share price was basically incorporating $70 oil. So even though oil's down, it's still way above $70 a share, which means they're minting cash. You get to buy it with an 8.8% dividend. Now, that is a variable dividend, so be careful about that. I'm trading at 10 times earnings, but I think it's a terrific way to take advantage of the market's pullback and get back into this stock. All right, Joe T. United Healthcare, it's a name I've been long throughout the year. It just recently reclaimed all of its three major moving averages. What that will do is engage the quant funds uh, that focus on momentum, and it should carry the stock higher from here. All right, Steve Weiss. This is going to shock you, so Frank. I can't see you, so I hope you're sitting down. I'm staying in cash, I'm not putting any money in the market. Wow. I am sitting down, Steve. I am sitting down. All right, John, over to you. <laughs> great, great, great. All right, Frank. Um, about 2 million customers use this service for high-speed data and uh, digital television. 
It's Wide Open West, W-O-W. They're in here aggressively buying upside calls, Frank. Stock was about $17.20. It's a $2 billion company, and they're buying the 1750 calls. So um, they've got time on their side, and it's just out of the money. I traded this one for the first time ever today, Frank. So I'm in this one, and I'll probably ride it for two to three weeks. Steve, I'm glad you stayed on brand. Extreme pessimism. Uh, that does it for <laughs> halftime. The exchange with Kelly Evans. It actually begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.